What's up, Josh? Question. Okay, yeah. Oh. Would you say that avoiding overthinking is the mark of a truly intelligent person? Are you asking me if this is a yes or no question or if there's something else that is the mark of a truly intelligent person? I would say, do you see the merit in the conjecture that someone who is truly intelligent learns through action and not merely just thinking about things? Not not to discredit the value of thinking about things. So are you asking me if I agree with that statement? Would you agree with that statement? No. No. Explain. I don't... I used to be very, uh, like, one or the other kind of person where one thing must be right and the other thing must be wrong. But I think you said this a few weeks ago where it was, like, many different ways to get to the same spot or many different ways to get to the same result. Um, That one person's process is equally as valid as another person's process. And all you can really do, now this is my own thought, all you can really do is refine and perfect the process that works for you rather than having to go with somebody who was successful with a different sort of process. Um, For example, some people like to have a lot of inspiration in their workspace. And a lot of people, they find that distracting Both are a lot, I guess. I'm not sure which one statistically is more, but it's just like different strokes for different folks. Um, And so I think to answer, do I think action is more valuable than thinking in an intelligent person? I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a lot of good that comes from thinking. Of course, if all you do is think and you do nothing, then... I would imagine you're not doing really much of anything. Um, but if you think and process and then act on your thoughts, I think that's equally as valuable as somebody who just does and messes up a ton of times and learns from that as well. Um, and of course, I think it's a healthy balance of both. But I actually think uh, there was, uh, just to answer like another facet of the question is overthinking beneficial or is it better to be done away with um i think overthinking um again i think everything's in moderation um i think if you overthink too much and you paralyze yourself into a state of fear or inaction or lack of hope then yeah overthinking can be pretty dangerous in that regard But I also think that we can learn to use everything as a tool or to serve us, um, good or bad. And so if I'm overthinking or ruminating about something, I can either fight that or I can just kind of let it exist with me. And with that, it kind of loses its power um, because I think overthinking is fed by... um, just like a terrible mental cycle of ah, like this is going to suck and then this and then this is going to suck and then this is going to suck. Like you're placing a lot of value on the thoughts that you're having. 
But if you just went, well, these are the thoughts I had because of this thing and not say, oh, I suck for having those thoughts or wow, it's great that I had those thoughts just going, those thoughts were there. And then immediately the thoughts no longer have any power over you. Because I think when we think of overthinking, we think somebody kind of spirals into like this anxiety induced state of um, being stuck in one's own head. Um, and it kind of like feeds off of the fact that you are frustrated with yourself for going down this rabbit hole. Um, but I think overthinking has also led to some of the greatest solutions in the world for the world's biggest problems. Um, but I think again, moderation with overthinking, you then need to take a break. Uh, you need to go for a walk. You need to listen to music. You need to take a shower. Um, and then once all that processing was done, then maybe you can look at it with a clearer mind and go, okay, so then how do we attack this? Um, and so in all capacities, this person that I've created as an example has then turned everything about processing this specific thing into something he could use. So he didn't throw away his overthinking. He didn't punish himself for the overthinking. He just took a break from the overthinking, which is easier said than done, and then came back to the problem because I think all problems have to be dealt with eventually. So that's my really long-winded answer to your question. Good question. Good answer. Thanks. No, but I was going to... I think the last thing you said... Yeah. The last thing you said makes me think about the question again because to me it feels important to differentiate whether you're think thinking about something or planning is actually helping you deal with the problem or if it's an avoidance tactic mm. to a, to not deal with the problem. And so like in that that example that you just gave at the end, it was think, but then take a break so you can come back and deal with the problem. And I'm wondering if starting with dealing with the problem and then kind of reshaping your approach as necessary, is there is there maybe merit in that? I mean, I guess like you said, it, it depends on who you are and, and what you're trying to do, which I think is... It, I, I like as an answer. Yeah. Because of the nuance of different situations. I guess you're making me think a little bit too. Because could one actually be, I, I guess maybe the question is, if you tell those people who are overthinking, just act as soon as you feel an impulse of overthinking, so that way you stop overthinking, if that actually would be better. And again, it's probably an approach for certain people that might work. Some people actually really enjoy their over, and I think the other definition is, or the other thing is, is when is it considered overthinking and when is it considered thinking? Regular thinking. Um, right. And I guess I don't know. Multiple ways: act so you don't overthink, or let yourself overthink. Stop, <laughs> take a break from that overthinking, and then act. I guess it depends on if one can properly use their overthinking or if like you said it's an avoidance tactic and therefore you need to address the avoidance part of it 
But I had a really bout, I had a really bad bout of overthinking last night, actually. I couldn't get out of my head. It was the most stressful hour. And it felt like an hour and a half to two hours. I don't actually know how long it was. It was probably only 30 minutes. But I found myself pacing me at my entire house. And I remember a friend called me and I go, I can't get out of my head. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, we, I, just call me later. Like I am beyond stressed right now. And I couldn't place what it was. I was like shaking. I was like, just, uh, pacing back and forth and I don't I didn't really do anything to take a break I just kind of like fell to the floor and just like laid there for however long and then it passed and I couldn't really tell you oh, I, I can tell you what I thought about but I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna express it here um but all I can say is I let myself overthink and then I sat with it after that break, after I just like let it go and I went, okay, why did I overthink there? And I started writing. And this is something that I've learned this year. So it's not like, oh, I'm a guru and I've done this for 20 years and this is what works for me. This is just fresh for me. But then I looked at it and I said, okay, why did I overthink about those specific things or those specific events? And then I just really like dug into it, not any judgment on myself, but went, Oh, I was anxious about this because I did this. Oh, I don't like it when um, I'm not in good terms with people. And then so I started to really evaluate myself and found what anxiety, what things were triggering that sort of anxious thought and getting in my head. So I, I found that writing really works for me and processing it really works for me. Because I, I think the last thing I want is to say, oh, I wasted five hours overthinking. Instead, I'm gonna, I said, okay, let me now use what happened there for my benefit. But you know, easier said than done. That took a long, it was a long process to get to that point. So. I like the idea of using every, everything. That's so, that's terribly vague. Um, using every different part of, of your experience instead of saying, oh, I did that and it was a waste of time and I stressed myself out and I need to not do that. To just actually integrate it and use it either to funnel creativity or yeah, self-learning. And I, I didn't, I don't think I realized that all the time either. I think there were times when I went, oh, I'm missing out on this event. I'm going to lose some friends or I'm missing out on this thing. What if it's the experience of a lifetime? Well, if you miss the proposed or supposed experience of a lifetime, you would have no idea that it was the experience of a lifetime anyways. So um, there's no point in living in that kind of fear. But also I've seen all of the bad and negative things that have happened in my life. And I think without them, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now in my current state, in my current life. And so I can't say that anything was wasted because I think if any of those events were missing, good or bad, I think I would be in a completely different spot now um, for better or for worse, who knows, right? But if I'm happy and I'm content with the life that I have now, I kind of have to almost, I have said thank you to everything that's happened to me in my short existence. Um, because it sounds cliche, but it made me into who I am today. And I could say that really directly and really confidently because literally everything that has happened in my life has 
in some impact um, what on what I am doing now. So I can't say any time is wasted because it has culminated to this and it will continue to culminate until the end of my life, I think. Do we talk about time travel before? No, but it's one of my favorite concepts. Is it? Yeah. I'll eat I'll eat movies and shows about time travel up. Except Doctor yeah, Who. I think I've never seen Doctor Who. Yeah, neither have I. Um I've had the thought this is when I, I know I'm in a good place in my life, when I have the thought of what you just expressed that if I could go back and change anything, that's a question people, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing when you were a freshman in college or a freshman in high school or when you were 10 years old, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing, what would you, what would you go tell yourself? And for me, I know I'm in a good place whenever the answer is, if I could go back and tell myself one thing, I wouldn't. I actually like that as a, metric of where you're at in life i might start using that just like a weekly journal entry going if you could go back in time if you could go back in time what would you change and if i answer it with something then i know that there's something in my life now that i need to change but Mm -hmm. if life is good and I will have known that because there was nothing that I wanted to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's in moments of, of intense kind of, for me, feelings of like oneness or love or, or just true acceptance, like radical acceptance of myself, um, which, you know, it comes and goes. <laughs> but at least it comes. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it stays for longer the more time goes by, hopefully, right? I think reflecting on it helps because it helps. What, what has helped me is identifying, okay, when I, I felt like that, you know, what kind of things, what, what, was, what were my days filled with? Like how was I spending my time in those intense moments? That's, I think, part of the value for me of journaling. Um, I remember kind of my mood. I, I haven't gone back really and read my journal entries. I've been journaling consistently for about a year and a half. Um, but I remember certain moments where I just felt in awe of the world. Um, and then thinking about what, you know, what kind of things filled my days when I, when I felt like that. <laughs> It sounds like we came from the same, like, group therapy class or something. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of it's it's cool. This has been another thing that's been very, I think, kind of heartening and interesting is hearing about you and and myself coming to some of the same realizations or kind of same truths that we feel with not the most dramatically different life experiences in the whole world, but with very different lived experiences. 
same reason uh, I think time travel probably exists. It's just in the future. Oh, I don't. I do not. I do not believe in backwards time travel. That's not possible. Yeah, well, I think, I think that's. I think because they they figured out the same thing we just said, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, so also, like also, the moment the time travel gets, yeah. Also, I think that was a jump back. Sorry. Yeah, I think that. Uh, and I guess this is a little religious, but I think going back in time is one of the things that actually is the only thing God can ever do. I don't even think God could do it kind of thing because he's outside of it, but uh, it would be playing God way too much. Because we could change history by going into the past. You cannot really change history by going into the future. I think there's a possibility of higher higher order dimensional existence yeah uh did you ever watch interstellar yeah and i'm not sure that it looks like that and the fourth (laughs) and the fourth dimension of higher existence was love it was yeah yeah it transcended time and space and it was it was love it's gravity and love (laughs) the only two things (laughs) that are outside time and space i wonder who's working on the love equation (laughs) aren't we all (laughs) <laughs> it was funny because the big, the, the funny debate about Interstellar that I've had at least is they went, really? All of that just to say that it's love that makes the world go round and is the solution to everything? And I went, but isn't that it? <laughs> like, we aren't we looking for some great big answer and the answer's already there and it's love and it is the only thing that transcends time and space? I mean, there's nothing, ah, and people might fight me on this. Uh, there's nothing evolutionarily beneficial about loving somebody who has already passed. They do not serve anything to, they do not give anything to, they no longer exist on this planet. And yet we love lost ones anyways. Why? Because love transcends time and space. And it's not always about being evolutionarily the best. Some might argue that um, having a fondness of lost ones or loving lost ones is what helps us preserve our own lives more. Um, so there's the counter argument. Um, but I like to believe in the former one better because it just makes me happier. So I, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Does that make sense to you, though? Which part? In the idea that love does actually transcend time and space uh, more than... And it's probably the closest we can get to understanding things beyond our three-dimensional space located in time. Wow, this is getting so existential. Meta. <laughs> I, it's meta. If I was listening to this, I'd be like, "What is going on?" You're like, you have to be in a state. Of, you have to be in a state of mind to listen to this. <laughs> no, I think love is the greatest answer. What's the question? I don't. <laughs> Do you agree? Disagree? I guess it's not really an agreeable or disagreeable. I don't think because I didn't just say one point. So it's not like you'd be like, yeah, I agree with five of your six points, Jethro. No, I, I guess. Do you just have any thoughts on that? No, I just meant you said love is the greatest answer. Oh, oh to what question? 
to me. I said, what's the question? Oh, I guess. Wow. Have you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide? I knew you. I was literally about to. I was literally about to ask the same exact question. I have not. I have not actually read it. No, I actually have not read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. My dad has. Wait, then why did you? Does he like it a lot? Why are you going to ask me that question? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure it's about or pretty similar to (laughs) the meaning of life. Well, the answer is the, the meaning 42. of life is forty-two. Yeah, but, but then then they try to figure out what the question is, and they oh, that's the basis of the actual. Wait, what's the question? Uh, I don't remember if they figure it out, or it's like trying to. The thing that they built to figure it out is like still trying to figure it out. It's got some large amount of years, like eight million years or something. Oh, that it needs to figure it out. Oh. I don't remember if that's exactly if that's exactly right. People who absolutely love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I apologize for butchering that explanation. <laughs> have you ever read or watched The Life of Pi? I have watched. Yeah, I've only watched two. That one I think is a really good. Yeah, it's not really a time traveling one. I just think it's a good I guess reflection on how good this life can be and is. Do you ever think people are ignorant when they say life is good? Uh, platitudes. <laughs> I I think. Ooh. Do I ever think people are ignorant when they say life is good? <laughs> In general, I guess when you hear somebody say, "Okay, I guess." Um, do you think all people are ignorant when they say that life is good? No. And I guess in one point at, at which, when would you say that they are ignorant for saying life is good? And when would you say they aren't ignorant for saying life is good? I think if you say life is good as a way to erase real hardships and struggles in people's lives, that's that that I would construe that as ignorant, like specifically in that moment or in a conversation or in a context or when addressing a group of people to say life is good. I mean, I think if you say life is good as like your greeting or something, I mean, <laughs> hey, I think, what up? Life is good. <laughs> my my opinion is that life is good. Like to to be living is is a blessing and is rare and beautiful and a cosmic statistical anomaly to exist at any given moment. Yeah. Um, I guess that's describing my version of morality and good and bad to statistical anomaly, anomalies of the of the cosmos but i'm not really a, i'm not really a nihilist so <laughs> i don't <laughs> um one could make the argument that life is just a statistical anomaly so it doesn't really matter so nothing's good everything's neutral sure but that seems like a very that seems like a very paralyzing existence to me 
Yeah, I agree. So when somebody says, life is good because I don't have to, I don't suffer from starvation. For example, would you, is that a good use of saying life is good in your opinion? Or is that an ignorant way? I, I you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, if it's someone genuinely recognizing privilege, there are a lot of people in the world who don't have the ability to do a lot of the things that I get to do with my time, with my life. I mean, like spending time talking to you because I have the time to talk to you. And not only do I have the time to talk to you, I have the resources to fund equipment to be able to talk about what microphone and, you know, things like that. I mean, that's yeah. like, take, take a look at myself and say, in terms of the world I mean, like how, how blessed is that? Yeah. I think if you're saying life is good in that way, but I think you don't need, you don't need to have resources to recognize the beauty of life. I mean, right. And in a lot of ways, individual happiness is not dependent on, wealth depending on what depending on what studies you read and what surveys um (laughs) i'll also say that and this is my i guess bold opinion maybe it's not even that bold but um i am of the opinion i spoke slowly there because i totally trailed off and zoned out and forgot exactly what my response was but your bold your bold opinion my bold opinion is that in fact, the more resources you have, I think the harder it is to get to the essence of the goodness of life. Um, that with more fame and more power and more success and more anything along those lines, the further you get away from the truth, the further you get away from, or the harder it is to get at the truth, the harder it is to get at um God, the harder it is to get at love because you have so many other things pulling you in different directions. Um, And I'll give an example so I don't sound completely ignorant going, oh yeah, like if you have nothing, you're probably better off than all of us who have everything. Um, But it's this idea that, um, well, I think I can do it in a very tangible form. When people start making more money, they change their standard of life dramatically, meaning they increase the price of what they consume, um, meaning bigger house, better car, uh, more expensive food, more lavish experiences. Um, and to keep up with that, then they must chase the next promotion. And then when they reach the next promotion, then they then change their standard of living again. And then to match that or to keep that going, then they have to fight for that promotion. So now they're dangerously stuck on always performing and always contributing to the point that they don't know when they can retire. Um, They don't know when they can actually take a breath and enjoy their life. And I guess you could argue that they are enjoying their life, but if you look at how much they would have to work to get to that point, it's the majority of it. Um, And ultimately then it's at the end of their life and you, they would probably ask, you know, what was I chasing for? You know, I feel like I reached the top, but I never did. Uh, and But for somebody who's content 
with being present with the job that they have, with the people they love, with the community that they exist in, and they don't feel the need to ascend or go higher、um, and see more things、uh, with more lavish sort of opportunity.、Um, you can find like complete and utter satisfaction and joy in that. And I can only think of my parents when I talk about this.、Um, Because they did come from a developing country,、uh, they came from the Philippines and they had nothing.、Um, and they went here to、uh, to America to give my brother and I a better life. But here's the phrase that they'll always say: "We gave up our lives so that you could have better ones."、Um, and now, you know, we have done our part of the family. Now it's you and your brother's turn to then create a better life for future generations within our family,、um, and I, I I never really dove into that because I just didn't understand that at first. So then I asked my mom, I was like, "What do you mean by you gave up your life?" And she goes, "I only get to see my family once every five or six years."、Um, yeah, we didn't have a lot, but I wasn't lonely. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I. Um, had people who cared about me. I could wake up and just spend time with my siblings,、um, help my parents work,、um, and ultimately just be grateful for everything that I could possibly get. And so she became grateful for any good meal she had, or when she was able to go to the dentist.、Um, whereas we'll take that for granted here because we can.、Um, and when they went here, my dad works forty hours a week. Um, and he makes great money,、um, and yet we don't live a really lavish lifestyle. And my dad said, "Why?" He's like, "I could get a Ferrari right now if I want to." Okay, that's a weird flex, <laughs> uh, uh, but I won't because I don't need it. And so then the rest of it just gets to go into savings for his family,、um, for the people back home, but also for me and my brother. And and he's like, "Yeah, I'm content. I'm happy." I'm like, "You don't want to do anything more with your life?" And he goes. I've done so. I I made it to America. Like I I I succeeded.、Um, but now I'm just content with my wife, my family, my kids, playing tennis, going to mass. That this money is just, you know, good for financial security and being able to take care of my family. But other than that, I don't really need the money to shoot for the next thing. And and so yeah, I think that the less that you have, the more you're asked to go closer to God or be more in tune with yourself in order for you to see the joy in this life. But ultimately, you see the more true joy than you could have if you were constantly distracted by all of these temptations. I guess. Anyways, those are my thoughts. Do you feel like there's any good way to help discern what truly brings you contentment? Is there any way, or any good way? Well, because because I think, I mean, as time goes on. I feel like 
pretty much it goes back to to love being the greatest answer, but is there anything greater than spending the time that you have that you're given with people that you love and the people that love you? And that's not, that may be specific to me. Um, and I, I wonder about like a purpose or a calling, you know, vocation, the best way to, to really figure out what is your path, whether it's how, how you can be of service to others or of service to yourself. Um, because I, I feel like that's so critical in, in helping determine your path, but is it not something, is that something you think about or is it something you just find in the breaks? Um, I don't, I don't want people to misconstrue when I say love as some sort of general generalization and um, I've lost contact with reality. I think love manifests itself in many different ways. And so I think if you're thinking of calling or vocation and you're, and you say, well, is it the answer just that we need to love the people around us? I would still say yes, because I think in our work, um, in what we learn, um, in what we do, I think all can be done with love. Uh, in any facet of life, um, business, politics, law, medicine, um, the arts, the sciences. I think if you do it with great love, you will be helping people. And this is why I'll never say those who work on Wall Street are objectively bad people and those who work in medicine are objectively good people because I don't think we can say stuff like that. But I think if you go into it with an intentionality to provide, to help others, then you you can find satisfaction in anything. And so if that's the case, then just do what makes you most happy. For some people, some people really like the grind of working 40 hours a week because it means that they get to spend time with their family and separate work-life balance during the weekend and they find that that's enough time. For many other people, they're miserable when they do that. And so then they're not really bringing joy to the table to themselves and their family um, and their friends. And so they might need to reevaluate that. Um, but I think, you know, if somebody's really good at music and they create music and they're good at it, that's a talent to share with the world. If somebody really likes the idea of being a doctor and can retain information and then looks forward to interacting with individual patients, then do that because that's what makes you the most happy. Um, if you like working at a bookstore for the rest of your life because you enjoy the atmosphere and you think um, books are the greatest thing in the world, then do that. Um, and maybe I'm simplifying and things, and you have to make compromises somewhere, which is maybe the thing you loved will not get you the money that you need to then provide. Then I, I think you, well, I don't, if I were in that position, I would, um, I guess, come to terms with it, meaning I still want to do what I love. And so I will compromise and do a job that I might not like so that I can seek out those moments when I can. And so for people who love music, but music's not going to be their full-time job, you know, doing a job that 
is equally as fulfilling for them, but they still get to do that on their time off, I think is a beautiful thing. Um, so I will still always say that love is the greatest answer, but it's not, and it's the simplest answer, but it's not an easy answer. Uh, I think there's a lot of complexity behind the the platitudes, if you think about it. I think the simplest statements are layered with very, very, very complex flavors and answers and and interpretations, if you will. And I think that's the beauty of, one of the beauties of life. Thoughts? I got nothing. <laughs> well, we hit the 30 minute mark. We hit the 35 minute deep mark. In, deep in contemplation. I've been debating whether or not to keep the silences in because I think there's a great <laughs> um, uncom- discomfort with silence, but it's more honest because it, you can tell about the processing and the thinking. So I'm debating. I'm not sure. I I like the silences. I think you can, when you listen back to it, you can see if it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> if we're trying to think of something. If we're trying to think about something that we're trying to say that we're trying to remember, and we can't remember what it is. Um, I mean, you can you can determine stylistically what you think makes sense. I'll probably have some questions for you next time. Yeah. Um. Oh, we should probably end this and <laughs> and then oh, talk about. Oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah. Um. Thanks for listening to another episode of us. Um, yeah, Josh, any last words? Love everyone. Love everyone. See you guys next time.